This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. News publishers have perhaps got used to the idea of constant change. Threats to the sector are frequent and severe and require organizations to match resilience with agility. The global pandemic created new pressures, but also opportunities for publishers driven by large upticks in audience growth and subscriptions. On today's show, we'll explore how to sustain and maximize the opportunity provided by a period of sharp growth with our guest publisher. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. I'm Anna John, and this is The Turning Point. This week, we welcome a publisher from South Africa who has participated in our Data and Insights Launchpad program done in partnership with the Google News Initiative. I'm delighted to welcome Catherine Kutze, Operations Manager and a Let Law Audience Development Manager at The Daily Maverick in South Africa. Welcome both. I'd also like to introduce Valentin Cornez, Global Lead and Co-Founder of Google Insights Tools for Publishers from Google. Valentin leads their work developing tools which support publishers to turn data into actionable recommendations. Welcome all of you and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, hello, thank hello. you. Thank you. First, to set the scene, Catherine, can you give us a sense of the growth journey, I guess, or at least the last few years and what has happened for Daily Maverick uh, and the role, I guess, of the growing use of data and insights and what it's played? Uh, so Daily Maverick, we've just celebrated our 13th birthday in October. We were initially launched as an independent investigative uh, news and analysis site. Um, and I think the big turning point over the 13 years was about four years ago when we launched our Maverick Insider program, which is our voluntary reader revenue program. That happened in late 2018 and at around the same time was also when we started expanding our journalism from what was traditionally a very politically focused, slow news environment to launching our business Maverick, Maverick Life, our dedicated climate crisis section, our burning planet, our dedicated sports section, food, and really giving our readers more of a broad context of, of what it was that we were publishing. Very shortly after that, we then went into the pandemic and we had seen steady growth through our audience through those initial kind of nine, 10 years. But as many publishers saw, the COVID-19 pandemic brought um, a big spike of traffic. And instead of that tapering off, like other publishers saw, we sustained that growth. And even since the pandemic, have now doubled that audience further from that point. Up until about four years ago, Daily Maverick was very much a startup bootstrap business. And we invested very, very, very heavily into the newsroom primarily. And so the number of staff members we had that weren't dedicated journalists was minimal. Over the last couple of years, we've built up that team that's allowed us to focus more and more on data. And linking back to the program that we did with FT Strategies, I remember when Alette and I were first in the initial stages of the interviews when they were selecting the companies to participate. I went in with this kind of feeling of insecurity going, you know, I know we use data, but it doesn't feel like we do that much with it. And, and you know, they're not going to pay much attention to us. We're a small publisher from South Africa. And as we were sitting with the FT Strategies team and talking through what access to data we had, it became clear that actually over the years, we've, we've built a whole lot of different data sources and platforms. And we're using a lot of this to make decisions. And I think we partnered with FT Strategies right at the time that we 
We're really getting into a culture of formalizing how we use data, of using it to inform our decisions, to help guide our editorial, not just in our commercial aspects, but also in guiding that. And that was around the same time Alette had also joined us just a couple of months before that. And so in the last year, there's been a dramatic increase in how Daily Mavericks use data. We've One of our core principles that we use and that we say a lot in the companies do data right. Um, when we look at exploring new projects, everything comes back to what does the data say? If anything, I think Alette could actually step in here and give a lot greater insights into how she's been using that across the editorial functions as well. Let's do that. Alette, in your, I guess, in your role, looking at audience engagement, audience development, can you perhaps unpack some of the things that Catherine was talking to there? Obviously, from an operational standpoint, there's been big changes in the organization. I'd love to understand, I guess, to be very practical, and that's something we pride ourselves on at FT Strategies, and I know the GNI does as well. Practically speaking, what changed when you joined the company? What did you inherit? And what does it look like now? Yeah, so I think what Catherine said has really hit the nail on the head. There's always been the philosophy of Daily Maverick that, you know, without a solid editorial foundation, there really isn't, you know, the data can only take you so far. So Daily Maverick spent a lot of time in those formative years investing in its journalism and building the newsroom into one of the most senior newsrooms in the country. And then when I joined, it was right at the point where the business had matured enough, you know, with the growth we've seen over the last few years, that we really, it was time to start placing data in a more central place in the newsroom. So that means engaging our editors and our journalists on a daily basis with the data. I send out a daily data memo to the entire staff with yesterday's performance and insights about what I think we can, you know, do today with, you know, based on the data. And then when I go into the editorial meeting in the morning with the editors, we, you know, discuss those data points right at the start of the meeting. And then they obviously take it to their journalists. And whenever there's a big breaking story or, or an exclusive piece that we're working on, the, the journalists are very much involved in addressing what I would then, you know, recommend based on the data, you know, how we can satisfy or address our reader needs. Just in terms of the data, again, to be very focused in on, on the specifics, mm. what kind of data are we talking about here? Data is used in such a broad way. I'm sure Valentin is used to that as well. And I'll bring you in in a minute, Valentin. What data are we talking about that the newsroom finds valuable? And do you go beyond, I guess, simple reach or aggregate volume-based metrics? We look at, obviously, reach and engagement measures. So we have three reader segments that we, that we basically focus on, which is our, our casual readers, our regular readers, and our, and our most loyal readers. So we look at the number of users that were active in, in all three of those segments. Yeah, we have you know, several engagement measures as well to see how well a story would have performed in each of those segments. And then we have just actually also bought a new tool that is very much focused on reader needs. So we all know about the user needs by now that tell you whether a story updates a reader or educates a reader or adds perspective. And that is very much also part of our daily analysis, which we then take back to the journalists um, and suggest follow-ups and expansion of the story. Just to add to what Alette was saying, and you know, another expansion that we're looking at at the moment that we've been trialing on our climate crisis division is categorizing our articles with various themes. So, you know, identifying what themes it is that we're covering and then tracking the analytics to those themes. So 
we know within climate crisis that there are eight critical areas that we need to focus on in order to really convey the urgency of the matter and then analyzing how our editorial is resonating with our readers. And one of the great examples that we've looked at with that is when we've pulled the data for our coverage on global heating, what we've seen is we're producing enough content on it, but it's not resonating with our readers. They're not engaging with it the same as they're engaging with the other topics. And there's not that correlation that you want to see within that. And the beauty of that is Daily Maverick has never been an organization that chases clicks. So when we see something's not resonating with a reader, it's not that we go back and we make the decision, well, let's, you know, let's not put our efforts there. It's not working. Our readers aren't engaging with it. What we do is we go, where do we need to shift how we're talking about this? Where do we need to shift how we're approaching this so that it does resonate with our readers, so that they do understand what it is that we're facing here? And so I think what Alette's done brilliantly with the team is looking at how we use data to inform whether or not something that's important is resonating or not resonating, and then shifting it so that we're able to marry what it is that our readers need with what it is that we know they need to know about. Valentin, if I can turn to you from the product side and as a provider of the kind of tools and products that publishers depend upon to do the assessment, the measurement, uh, and then I guess the the review of tactics that need to be deployed. It'd be good to know from you, I guess, what specific tools are at the leading edge now to help functions led by people like Catherine or or Alette to drive engagement, drive take up of the journalism. So, well, as you know, the main tool from Google, from an analytics point of view, is Google Analytics, right? Uh, So I'll, I'll briefly share a bit more information about that one. As you know, it's not made for news publishers and it's not the perfect tool. So that's why there's a lot to talk about. And when we talk about data, usually we talk about Guernetics data, but we don't talk about Guernetics. Anyway, so we believe that since it hasn't been built for news, uh, the Google News Initiative had to to create something or a series of uh, offerings to make sense of that data and essentially to transform that data into actionable recommendation. That's the whole concept. Like... Because data by itself is nothing. You need to create insights and recommendation. That's going to be very important. And essentially, what we've done uh, with the Google News Initiative GNI is we've identified multiple topics that uh, publishers care about. So obviously, we've identified reader engagement, uh, reader revenue with subscription and contribution, content strategy. Catherine and Alette mentioned a lot of like key projects related to content strategy. So that's also what we're working on, trying to build better tools to support newsroom, to make better decisions on how to create content and how to distribute it. We, for the past few years, we've partnered with hundreds of news organizations all around the world, and we've identified those best practices related to those topics, right, on reader engagement, subscription, content strategy, and so on. And what we've done is we've developed a report called News Consumer Insights that automatically surface those key tactics on those topics based on great data. So coming back to the data conversation, we try to digest the data, transform it into insight and business recommendation and prioritize those business recommendations because there is a lot to do, right? And the most important part is where should you start on those different topics? How do you get your users to uh, become more loyal? How do you get your users to subscribe? How do you get your users to consume your content? Without this idea of obviously a clickbait and uh, we really want to provide value to, to the user at the end of the day and really push content that matters. So just to give you an example how it works for news consumer insight, let's say tomorrow you connect to the tool with your GoAntix account. Uh, the tool will automatically compare, for example, your average session duration of your users with 
the users from the industry. We have benchmark data. And based on that comparison, we'll surface on that specific tactics, for example, to get the users to stay longer. Tactics like recirculation. How do you position recirculation widget on, on the site? How do you design those recirculation widgets that they matter and they get clicked? So that's the kind of like work we're doing from a data conversation, right? From a data point of view. It's all about really trying to digest the data and prioritize recommendation that makes sense when you look at this, that data. Now, to, to, to echo uh, Catherine's and Alice's point on journalism, we have that other tool. And again, I'm talking about Google tools because um, obviously there are a lot of tools out there for journalism. You have Chartbeat, you have uh, Parsley. Uh, on the Google side, we have real-time content insights, which is again free to use for news publishers out there. And it's funny because I was listening to Catherine and Alette on what matters and how do you tackle like topics that you want to actually push to users and how do you actually want to get the data to, to make sure that you actually change the angle so that it matters for them. That's exactly, we are exactly on the same page here. With RCI, in terms of data point, what we do is we surface in real time the training articles on, on the site and would obviously look at the reach, how many users you get on those articles. But more importantly, we look at the type of users you get. So are those casual users or loyal users uh, in real time? So you see if you're driving loyalty or, or if you're driving new users to your site. You're looking at, obviously, the geo uh, of those users, where they're coming from, uh, like which cities, which country, and so on. And also the source of traffic. If those users are coming from newsletters, organic search and so on. So there's a lot to cover. But essentially, if you want to simplify the content strategy conversation from a data point of view on our side, is it's all about real-time versus long-term content strategy. And I think we're doing a good job on, on the real-time conversation, really trying to help journalists understand what's trending right now on the site. I think we are need to build up better services within real-time content insight and other tools to to echo uh, Catherine and Ed's point of view on like, okay, we, we have that content we want to build in the long term. How do we actually create like that specific content that matter? And in the meantime, that's that all users want. And that's the theme balance. We don't want to go into the clickbait conversation. We want to impact loyalty, but also value to users. And that, that to be honest, is the eternal theme at the moment, right? Um, news publishing businesses and wider media have gone from a a kind of reach paradigm, focusing much more now on deeper engagement, loyalty, and anyone who's got to read a revenue model, average revenue per user. Valentin, thank you so much. You gave us a bit of detail there on some of the new tools that are coming out uh, and some of the, the features that will help publishers get a better understanding of how they can improve audience. I'd love to spend a moment speaking with the Daily Maverick team on actually a very tried and tested route, which is in terms of driving engagement, how you can use assets like email, newsletter in particular, which plays a large part in um, Daily Maverick's offering. So tell us a little bit about how newsletter and the portfolio you have at the publisher has helped your growth ambitions and how it's helped to drive, I guess, engagement as well. So newsletters are a huge part of the offering that we have. There was a point when I joined the company, there were people who thought that Daily Maverick was a newsletter. It wasn't actually a news website. It's that they've been that much part of our ecosystem that it's taken a while for us to actually build beyond the newsletters. Our flagship. Did you start with a newsletter, Catherine? Did it start? No, with a I'm not. Oh, cool. I, well, you're asking. I've only been with the company for four years. No, it wasn't. It, no, it started as a website. I don't know when first thing launched, though. That's actually an excellent question that I should know the answer to. But um, first thing is our flagship newsletter. It goes out weekday mornings. Um, it's got a current subscriber base of just over 300,000. We've seen that subscriber base almost double in the last year. 
um, and an open rate of more than 30%. Um, it's got incredible engagement. And incidentally, it actually also won Best Newsletter of the Year at One Effort this year internationally. So incredible work by our colleague, John Stupart. But Daily Maverick has, I think, over 20 unique newsletter products running at the moment. They go from as big as first thing with 300,000 and then second up is probably sitting out daily business newsletter, which sits at about 170,000 subscribers, also with incredible open rates. And then down to our very niche newsletters that cover sports and food and our climate crisis and lifestyle and even a newsletter that we've got for small business owners to give them tips and tricks and and good in um, kind of material and resources to help them managing their businesses. Let correct me if I'm wrong, but I think newsletters make up about 50, they're the second highest source of traffic to the site. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so they're a huge traffic generator for us. We know that they're, they're critical in terms of driving traffic to big stories, but we're also able to use that database that when we have a breaking story, we'll broadcast that to the full database to go, this has just been found out. Here's an investigation. Click through here. There, newsletters sit in the middle of our funnel in terms of, so we got our, our, our fly-by readers at the top, then our regular readers, and then we know that that next point is our newsletters. And that's our main source of traction to where we actually get people down to the bottom of the funnel in terms of signing up to our membership program. So they're a huge part of our ecosystem and the sustainability of the business. So they play a large part in, in not just engagement, but also in terms of monetizing the audience effectively as well. A hundred percent. And not just the audience. Our newsletters are an incredible platform for commercial advertising as well. So in their own right, even prior to Maverick Insider being launched, our newsletters, we sell out our newsletters to advertisers as much as three months in advance. It's that kind of demand and a really solid revenue stream that provides commercial clients with great value. And then a highly engaged audience that allows us to generate engagement and, and revenue off that. So it's very much a diversified revenue stream from them. It'd be great to unpack, if you can, some of the insights that were uncovered through the program with GNI and FT strategies with regard to, I guess, the habits and, and needs of your newsletter audience in particular. I'll let perhaps you can unpack that a little bit for us. So we had, as you know, two parts in our of our program with FT strategies, and the one was a reader survey, and the other second half of it was an analysis of our of our newsletter users and it was really the combination of the two that gave us the most interesting insights because from our reader survey we got a lot of detailed demographic sort of information that we've never really previously had with our newsletter analytics tools so from that we got a we got quite a bit of you know insights into you know, what type of readers are subscribed to what type of newsletters, where there's crossover, and then also the reader habits that exist within our newsletters. And then we know that also, you know, those people who clicked on the survey, 75% of them had a really clear understanding of what Maverick Insider was. That's our um, reader revenue program. And roughly 50% were already contributing to the membership program. But of those who accessed the survey from our site advertising, only 50% understood what Maverick Insider was. And less than 30% of them were members. So knowing that our newsletter audience were really much more aware of the Maverick Insider program and 
you know, we're much more aware of the Daily Maverick brand, obviously. This helped us to kind of re-strategize how we approach our Maverick insider messaging in the newsletters, but also on the site, you know, and, you know, make better use of our site's banners and and that kind of thing. So that was really some of the most interesting insight that we gained. I think just building on that, um, and actually in preparation for this discussion, I reached out to our Maverick Insider manager who had advised that, so off the back of what we found with FT strategies, realizing that we really had conveyed the messaging of what Maverick Insider was through newsletter marketing. Our newsletter audience had a good understanding of the program and our online audience clearly weren't quite there yet. And off the back of that, we've done a lot more advertising through the site and a lot more messaging. And that hasn't just been through display. They're also publishing editorials that explain the program. They have now lifted up the acquisition from roughly 10 to 15% pre that site advertising initiative. Now 25% of our monthly acquisitions are coming off site advertising and not off newsletters, which is huge. It's been an incredible increase. They've more than doubled the acquisitions that they've gotten off the site in the latter part of this year. And I think one of the things, one of the interesting things that's also come out is realizing that as much as that funnel is important, understanding that they're going to go from flybys to regular readers to newsletter signups, and that's when we're probably going to draw them into the Maverick Insider program. There are people who may never enter into that newsletter site, who never want to get a newsletter, and we're leaving money on the table by not figuring out how to reach that audience and how to reach out to them. And one of the exercises that we've done recently looking into data is we found that as many as 30% of our Maverick Insiders are actually not newsletter subscribers. And so it is showing that while 70% probably will follow that traditional funnel route, there are people who bypass that and where we're able to get them directly from the site into our membership program. Yeah, as we see with any one of the 400 or so organizations we've worked with now, and I'm sure uh, Valentin can talk to this as well, there is no one size uh, fits all segment often, um, very rarely, and so the approach does need to differ. I'd love Valentin to, I guess, reflect on some of the things he's heard from from Catherine and Alette there in terms of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and clearly having some amazing results. Um, is there anything they can benefit more from from the tools that you oversee, Valentin? Uh, again, so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> I loved, I loved um, the the story and the, the content you've shared, Catherine and, and Alette, uh, it's very inspiring. We've spent time, obviously, looking at your sites and other sites from the industry. And I'm going to try to reflect on, on a few things. The first one will be around, obviously, the, the position of newsletters on a news publication business. Um, very important. If you want to drive contribution or subscription, you need to have a strong newsletter channel. Not everyone has a strong newsletter channel like yeah, Daily Maverick, unfortunately. And and the goal here is really to, uh, when you think about contribution and subscription, build first your newsletter, new newsletter channel. It's the what we call the getaway drug to, from a loyalty point of view. Uh, you need to uh, to get used to uh, to the content, to fall in love with the brand. Newsletter is the perfect way to create that emotional bound. So first focus on newsletter and then Obviously, you can work on contribution or subscription models. Oh, you can do that in the meantime, but don't forget newsletter. Now, on our side, we have a bit of expertise on open rate, but we have much more expertise on acquisition. So you have 300,000 uh, newsletter subscribers, which is huge. Congrats on that. I would say uh, if publishers out there want to uh, achieve similar kind of number or at least grow subs newsletter subscribers, there is a lot that can be done on the site uh, in general. 
just to get users to subscribe to newsletters. And when you go to Daily Maverick, it's a great example. Now I understand why you get 300,000 subscribers. You go to an article and you have that inline newsletter subs subscriber widget. And that's a, a very simple starting point to get users to subscribe. So my first recommendation would be to make sure that you have that inline widget on all your articles. You never know when users will subscribe. So that's going to be important. Also, that widget needs to be optimized. And again, Daily Maverick is doing a fine job there with having only one field for users to subscribe uh, to the newsletter. The autofill is on. That means that I just need to click on that field to, uh, to populate my email address. Plus, you actually promote the value proposition of subscribing to a newsletter. You don't just talk about subscribe to our newsletter. It's there. What do you get if you subscribe to a newsletter, which is great. And on top of this, you have a visual which kind of like convey the message and, and your values. So that's great. So the inline widget is great. Um, potentially advanced widget could be interesting, like uh, anchor format, like sticky format that appears on the site for some users based on level of engagement. Obviously, you don't want to push that to all users. After one article, at the end of an article, you might want to trigger those widgets that are a bit more visible. I'm talking about Daily Maverick. But obviously, I'm talking about uh, the, the rest of the web. And I think Daily Maverick is actually doing this as well. But essentially, the, the, the call here is just to, for some users, be a bit more visible for to get them to subscribe to newsletter. And now, what's the correlation with contribution uh, now? Uh, I love the, the fact that you're still talking about funnel because for us, it's still important to consider a funnel approach where in an ideal world, you will have someone, a casual users will actually become a regular, we call them loyal, and then brand lover, that's our last segment uh, on our funnel. You want them to subscribe to newsletters and then via newsletters, you want to build that bound and then you want them to contribute via that e email channel. But you're right, it's not the only way to get there. So you also need to optimize your site to get them to contribute. There is a situation in the industry where if you have a contribution model, most news publishers are very shy to ask for contribution on the site. Their button to support or contribute is hidden. It's not optimized. On, on, if you go to Daily Maverick, it's again a great example. You have a red button, a great color for call to action button, rounded edges. You have some messages to, to ask them to contribute. So that's great as well. I think the, the whole point here on our side, what we define as a great contribution strategy overall on the site is to make sure you optimize the different touch points. So marketing message to, to push users to contribute. The contribution landing page, if you go to Daily Maverick, it's pretty optimized. And obviously the checkout, everything needs to be simple. Uh, you want to have a one or two clicks. You need to understand very quickly what you're going to get. And then you want to simplify the, the checkout flow so that it's not you're not losing people out there. So a lot of tactics, UX, things that can be done in general to grow contribution. I think just to, to finish my point on contribution versus newsletter, the whole game here is really to, uh, based on data, if you become very mature on that field, like, okay, I have a very strong newsletter channel, my contribution model is getting better and better. I think the next game here is really to, based on data, to identify users who have the highest propensity to subscribe to newsletters and users who have the highest propensity to contribute. And sometimes there will be overlap, but essentially you want to change the experience on the site based on who you, who is visiting your site. Um, in an ideal world, if you know I will never contribute, don't push me to contribute. Get me to subscribe to a newsletter and, and the other way around. So that's the real game and that's not that easy, obviously, but that's where we need to, to spend more time on in the future to get more value from users.
And we see that very often as well. I mean, the, the ideal approach here is you are serving the right message to the right person at the right time. Of course, um, not all organizations have the technical or otherwise capabilities to, to achieve that in the short term, or at least immediately. We did see, I think, and Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong, that newsletter subscribers that subscribe to more than one, in fact, up to six or more, had a dramatically greater propensity to become a Maverick Insider, i.e. paying user as well. Is that correct? We saw a good correlation between it, whether it's a chicken and egg situation, but we did, I think it was 44%. If you had subscribed to more than one newsletter, you were 44% more likely to be a Maverick Insider. So there definitely is a correlation. And I think that also speaks to the engagement. You know, you know that your more engaged readers are going to be the ones who are more likely to support the journalism. I thought I would just mention now on the back of this conversation that, you know, around providing a personalized experience to, to drive those acquisitions that we, we are very much aware of that and that we have been putting a lot of um, resources and time and effort into, first of all, building a registration wall which has been up and running for about uh, three, four, five months now. And that's driven a lot of our acquisitions. And the ultimate goal with that obviously being, you know, gathering that first party data and then offering a, a personalized experience on the site in terms of editorial content, in terms of the the, off, the marketing offers you see. And yeah, I, I, I'm, we're all very excited about where that will take us in the future. The same thing is being applied to our newsletters where that, that, that personalization is going to come into our newsletters with a personalized RSS feed based on allowing us to hopefully filter between if you've read an article, we don't give it to you again in the newsletter. And so giving you what you haven't read, but we know you likely will be interested in. So we give you your top news and then the rest of it actually becomes personalized thereafter. That's great. If you manage to personalize the newsletter based on what they've read, that's huge. Uh, that's super impressive. I just have a comment on, on the registration wall. On our side, it's kind of a growing topic, obviously, in the industry, the first party data conversation. So we, I'm sure there are a lot of publishers out there who are trying to figure out how they get users to register on the site because it's part of, obviously, the, the funnel journey. You want to get them to, to register to a point where you have first party data. And obviously, you will see a strong correlation between the registration and, and then contribution or subscription later on. My personal point of view on this is essentially when you look at registration, it's all about the, the value exchange. You need to provide some value to those users who register. They will never register for nothing, right? So I think the clear path here, like the, the, the most common path is actually to put this as a wall for some some uh, some content, especially if you have a contribution wall. I mean, if you have a, a site with a contribution model, registration wall might make sense to really cover potentially some premium content. If you Registration becomes key for you, and what Dave Maverick is doing is is very interesting. So, I think it's part of the the funnel journey, and and it's all about making sure that registration world is optimized, and and making sure that the value is clear. Like if you register, you're part of a community, and you access a specific content. And now we get that question a lot. It's like, okay, so what's the difference between a registration and a newsletter sign-up? Obviously, when you register, you will receive some some newsletters. I think that just the barrier is a bit different. Uh, it's easier to share an email address than to register on the site. So the point here, uh, if we look at the funnel journey, you will ideally, and I know there are different touch points, it's never the same story for everyone, but in an ideal world, you will get users who will first sign up to a newsletter, then potentially register, and then potentially contribute. That's kind of the, the more and more uh, commitment from users. That's how you see it. But obviously, 
users will act differently uh, on the site based on who they are, where they're coming from, and so on. So again, data will tell us which, uh, for example, at what what time you want them to register to access an article. And that's an, a different story and a complicated one. That's some very valuable thoughts. Thank you, Valentin. And as the industry adjusts to a, a kind of post-cookie or cookie as we currently know them world, uh, I would imagine, and we're definitely hearing this a lot at FT Strategies, there will be a sharp learning curve increase and a flurry of activity in terms of how to use first-party data, what, what you can do with it and what potential it holds, whether you have a reader revenue model, an advertising-driven model, because your ben- the benefit from a commercial perspective can be quite significant, as we've definitely seen at the FT and as we see with many organizations we work with. I think if nothing else, we can take away that newsletters are a helpful gateway drug, as Valentin said. I love that. But I guess it's what you do with the data that counts. Often we see many pitfalls with organizations. They, they may not have the appropriate consent built in. So while you... You, you gather a lot of first-party data, your ability to actually use it properly is often quite challenged. My final question uh, to Catherine and Alette, and Valentin, I'll come to you as well. We do this with every guest on the show, is if you can distill two or three key pieces of advice that you wish you knew three or four years ago, Catherine, when you joined the company, uh, given the growth over the last few years, please do share it for our audience. I think one of the biggest things, um, and I, I, admittedly, I knew this question was coming, and so I asked for feedback from the team as well. And one of the big things that came out is that had we known what we know now, we would have actually started developing our own email service provider a couple of years ago. Our experience has been that the vast majority of them are not publisher-first designed, and that has put us on the back foot. I think it's cost us a lot in the long run, and now. Only now we're starting to work with our email service provider very willingly to start developing those tools and to start building out our, our email service provision to better serve our needs. But had we done that sooner, I think we would have been much further along the line in terms of engagement, signups, and personalization within that. And the same thing came up. Technology seems to be a big theme of wishing that we'd actually gotten stuck into that and taken control of that on a sooner basis, also relating to Daily Maverick looking to launch an app and going, this is something that we wish we'd embarked on at a sooner thing. On a more broader context, I think one of the big things that comes out is wishing that we'd pull down hope, acknowledging that it would have been better if we had started working multidisciplinary teams, breaking down the silos a lot sooner than we did. A big learning curve that we've gone through in the last year has been creating a culture of innovation. And I think the reason that it's become a lot more ingrained within our team is we've unpacked the language of innovation to really understand that innovation is nothing more than creative problem solving. And I think now that we've started to create that message within the organization, we're seeing a lot more confidence across all levels of the organization of people getting involved right from the very bottom all the way to the top in coming up with great ideas to problems that we've been facing. And so innovation and tech have got to be two of the biggest things that I wish we knew. Pretty inspirational to hear. Arlette, any final thoughts from you before I go to Valentine? No, I think Catherine said it all. Obviously, from an audience development point of view, if I if I had my way, we would have you know had data in the newsroom or at a more, more central place in the newsroom much sooner. You know, I understand the reasons we we didn't have it and the like that, and it, it's it's all valid. But I think you know having a a newsroom where where what the analytics tell us about our readers more so that, about our readers than really about our content, even though the two go hand in hand, makes a massive difference to the success of the business. 
the power and linking to what you were saying, well, both of you, but uh, Catherine in particular, around having a central understanding, I guess, uh, of some of the benefits that data can bring, and, and this was to your point, Alette, in the newsroom in particular, can be truly instrumental in, in driving growth and change and leveraging, uh, I guess, innovation, which is an overused word, obviously. I think something that I often smile about is like centrally at the FT, the CEO still talks about goals for engaged readers as opposed to purely commercial goals for the organization because the power of understanding how driving an engaged reader or user can be for achieving your commercial aims is is very well known now in our organization, which is a great place to be, I think. Valentin, any final thoughts from you uh, in two or three pieces of advice that you think Daily Maverick could benefit from or a wider audience? I think in terms of uh, of perception and, and prioritization of things to be done on the site would be an interesting one. Essentially, like what you're looking at in the market is most publishers are uh, don't know where to start. Uh, they don't know where to start on multiple topics. We've talked about so many things already in this podcast. Uh, we've talked about contribution, newsletter, registration, content strategy. My advice would be just to start. Start somewhere, test and reiterate. You will never get to the perfect place uh, tomorrow. You need to get there. It's a very long journey. And the big mistake uh, to do is working for hours and, and days and, and years to say, hey, let's try to find a perfect user experience for our site. No, this is not happening. Uh, so the advice is you need to start somewhere. You need to, to start potentially with small goals uh, and try to get, obviously, to a bigger picture at some point. But let's say tomorrow we say, okay, let's just try now to get more subscribers to our newsletters or let's try to uh, to get users to stay a bit longer or let's try to get them to register or let's try to figure out how that content can can be a, a bit more attractive for, for users in the way we, we change the title or things like that. So I think the, the, the culture of innovation that you've mentioned, Catherine and Alette, is very important and the culture of like, being like in the organization, like, hey, let's try things. I want to try this. Uh, this is kind of like the the mindset we want to to share with partners. And obviously, it's it's the same for our team. And at uh, the Google News Initiative level, we have that motto where we need to reinvent ourselves all the time with our tools, with our programs. What we've learned is we are being successful when we are doing step one step at a time. Um, so let's start. Let's get started. Let's track. Let's see how it goes okay to make mistake and let's let's uh, promote actually the when it's a failure that proves that we've tried something right so yeah that's kind of my advice proactive and pragmatic approach to end the the show thank you all so much valentin from gni alet and catherine from the daily maverick it has been a pleasure to have you on the turning point thank you very much thank you very much we will be back next week with another edition of the Turning Point podcast, exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they forged. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on each new episode. You can find the links on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, or of course, via the FT Strategies website. And for more strategies and tactics publishers and wider media are adopting to not just survive, but thrive, you can subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter. Our exec producer was Hani Shakes. My name is Ala John. That was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.